it's just, I ask it so many times, I mean, to so many bands that have been on independent labels before and then on major labels before that it sounds, uh, I'm always wondering if it's redundant in, uh, in, in some point. But anyway, I mean, uh, what, what did... The B-52s? I love them. Do you like Blondie? Do you like Devo? Yeah. Do you like the cars? Well, okay. Do you like the Plastic Ono Band live in Toronto? That was okay. I didn't hear the live album, though. <laughs> yeah, that's how, that's how we got on the subject of the B-52s. Oh, yeah? Oh, all those bands are on major labels, too. Yeah, that's it. And the Ramones, and the Clash, and the Six Pistols. The Six Pistols. Not to say we're half as good as any of those bands, but pretty much... No way can we touch a Plastic Ono. There's our answer for, for the major Not label question. Foot. Does it change anything? Mm. Yeah, it gives you more freedom because you have more money to, you know, Burn. waste. waste yeah. <laughs> I, bought a, I bought a kick drum pedal today, which I never would have been able to do. If, if well, what, what do you say about bands like Mud Honey that come from Seattle but don't, that don't want to be on a major label? That's well, fine. That's, that's their prerogative, you know? Each their own. Yeah. be a better place if we all subscribe to that philosophy, huh? Yeah, it would be. Did, did it change anything from, uh, from Bleach? Doing uh, that uh, that album, did, uh, did was there a big change? Yeah, there was a change the way we went about it. It was a big well, was Hollywood. Two years, right? two years between records. Well, change you mean the way we recorded it or the way our material? Material. Oh yeah, it's two years yeah, band. Years. You know, Bleach was recorded in December of 1988, and now it is pushing December 1991. So now we even have Nevermind behind us, and we're blazing new, exciting frontiers. Does it change any? <laughs> How do you say that? Sacagawea. She was um, Lewis and Clark's guide when they, you know, there were two explorers and they the trailblazer. They trailblazed. And they went all the way and discovered the West and opened up the West. Sacagawea was their Indian guide. Okay. Yeah, Sacagawea. So, so what about him? Well, we were blazing new frontiers and they were blazing new frontiers. We're the Lewis and Clark and the Sacagawea of. <laughs> Modern day rock and roll. We were gonna name the album Sacagawea, but but uh, we, uh, do we know how to spell but it? But we, our distribution company, wouldn't go for it. Yeah. So why, why did you entitle it? Why did you entitle the uh, the album Nevermind? I don't know. So I could brush off the question. Forget it. <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Good evening. Oh well, whatever. Never mind. Released 30 years ago on September 24th, 1991. A lot happened in 1991. Metallica put out the Black Album. Red Hot Chili Peppers released Blood, Sex, Sugar, and Magic. I hope I said it right. Soundgarden released Bad Motorfinger. Pearl Jam released 10. A lot went down. But it was that moment on September 24th, 1991, in that interview with Much Music, where they asked, why'd you, why'd you name it Nevermind? Well, the lyrics from Smells Like Teen Spirit, oh well, whatever, never mind. Now, Smells Like Teen Spirit, that was actually a term coined by Kathleen Hanna of the band Bikini Kill, who was a good friend of Kurt Cobain's. And one night they were partying at a house he had, I guess, rented... And she, and she wrote in spray paint on the wall, Kurt smells like teen spirit. And she said, uh, I'll play the interview in a bit. It, it's, it's fascinating. She think of, think of the history and, um, 
the fact that she's the one who came up with that term. It's very, very funny. So, my God, 30 years, 30 years ago, I was 10, going on 11. But, so Nirvana, we all know the story about Nirvana. It's been told many, many times before. The Bleach album was Kurt Cobain, Chris Novoselic, and Chad Channing. So, they were on Sub Pop, but they felt they wanted to branch out. So they left Sub Pop. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And they began to record. Well, first they signed with Geffen Records. David Geffen. And they began to record, never mind, with producer Butch Vig. Butch Vig. I mean, there's a classic albums episode. There's even a DVD if you want to learn more about the making of Nevermind. It, Kurt was proud of the album, but he said it was too polished. Now, in reality, he wanted them to be the biggest band in the world. Maybe that was his way of softening the punk 101 from attacking him as a sellout. By saying, well, yeah, the album's good, but it's too polished. And by saying that, maybe he created a defense mechanism. You know, Green Day went through something similar. They were labeled sellouts when they put out Dookie. Maintaining your your stat your your uh, group maintaining uh, your place in the world yeah Chris Novoselic said something interesting he said they repelled the mainstream and people have to remember that when it came to Nirvana the ma- Nirvana didn't go to the mainstream the mainstream came to Nirvana which is true very true. And here we are. 30 years later. Talking about. Never mind. Billy Joe Armstrong, Armstrong of Green Day said something interesting. He said... You don't skip through songs when you listen to Nevermind. Which is true, you don't. You just don't. It has an interesting distinction. I remember when I was doing research on it one time and how 10 of the tracks on that album, there's like 12 tracks, are considered standards by fans, by rock, not just rock radio, but rock in general. The album was a movement. I want to give a shout out to George Strombolopoulos of Apple 
Music, who did a really beautiful uh, piece. Let me go to it. On Nevermind for the 30th anniversary. And he got to, and he interviewed Butch Vig. So shout out to Strabo. I'm, I'm still listening to some. It's called Essential Album. Never mind. This is important to acknowledge an album. That really, it changed a lot of things. It changed everyone involved with it. Butch Vig to Kurt Cobain. But in the, and his family has said, and many of his friends, that success, he didn't know how to deal with it. Chris Novoselic, it changed his life. Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl said that they, he, even though Kurt wanted to sell that many records, he probably was not, in terms of how striking and scalding fame truly is, you know? Um, and, uh, We're not going to talk about what happened to Kurt Cobain. This is an anniversary. This is a celebration of that album. That album has stood the test of time. Still sells. And I can't play any of the music because, well, I have have respect for it. I don't want to just, oh, my God, let me. Oh, here we go. Is this it? There's an interesting interview I was looking for where Kurt Cobain talks about he talks about this girl um, I guess she had new kids on the block posters everything dolls she listened to their album Nevermind and she tore down all the posters and she burnt the dolls. That's pretty fucking wild. <laughs> Talk about a movement right there. Hello. And all we can do is play the interviews. What the band was thinking. You gotta understand. The after effect. Released on September 24th, 1991. Recorded between April 1990 to June of 1991. Producer Butch Vig and Nirvana. The album opens with, I mean, the the song that make them iconic. Smells Like Teen Spirit. Followed by In Bloom, Come As You Are, Breed, Lithium, Poly, Territorial pissings drain you, which is in a way they're uh, won't get fooled again. Kind of nod to the who, well, their own because it's an epic lounge act. Stay away on a plane, something in the way, endless, nameless. Yeah, this is an iconic album, it's landmark, but it was a movement of sorts. It it really changed everything. Kathleen Hanna, Kurt Cobain. 
But I really want to give Kathleen Hanna's take because Kathleen Hanna came up with the title. Okay, and we have her to thank for that. We really, truly do. And she was such good friends with Kurt Cobain. So, yeah. If we if we want to thank someone for coming up with that title. Ask Miss Kathleen Hanna, who, uh, let's see, the punk singer Kurt Cobain. There's a really great documentary called The Punk Singer about Kathleen Hanna and that moment that is forever etched in history, a musical history. Of uh, these two kindred spirits. Yeah. Very kindred. I mean, you think of Kathleen Hanna was uh, doing Bikini Kill. And she talks about how she was stripping. Because they had to pay, I guess, to get the tour van fixed. And there was this band that she knew called Mutton Chops. And they came in one day and they put a quarter in. And it smells like Teen Spirit came on. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty interesting. With Kurt. Kurt has a history with Bikini Kill. He's very connected to Kathleen. And Here we go. I mean, I remember thinking that each person in the band was incredibly powerful and interesting to watch. And we were doing some dates with Nirvana. I think Toby was still involved with Kurt. Kurt has a history with Bikini Kill. He's very connected to Kathleen and what she was doing. Any good biography of Kurt Cobain now acknowledges that he didn't come out of Hesher Rock in the Pacific Northwest. He came out of feminist art punk, you know? And he said it himself at that time. Kurt was a very charismatic person. I kind of started hanging out with him because I had a boyfriend who became a crackhead and then he started like stalking me and um, I was known as a feminist and I felt like I couldn't ask for help from people because I thought that they'd think she's making too big of a deal out of it because she's a feminist. And um, the only person who believed me was my friend Kurt. I was his friend for life at that moment. I mean, he stuck up for me. He was like the only person that stuck up for me. I wrote Kurt smells like teen spirit on the wall of his apartment after we spray painted on the side of a fake abortion clinic. That's the story. Morning glory. Oh my God. It's an interesting story. And hearing her tell it. I mean, there, there's so many different vantage points. <laughs> We can find it. Here it is. Here we go. I love this story. Kathleen really. If, if here we go. 
whatever you want. And then I hung up and I was like, how the fuck is he going to use Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit as a lyric? Yes. Smells Like Teen Spirit has been covered by Kathleen Hanna. It's been covered by Metallica. Patti Smith did a very interesting acoustic, maybe kind of bluegrass version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. And then in 2016, a rock alternative country artist named Sturgill Simpson covered in bloom on his album A A Sailor's Guide to Earth it was beautiful and many people noted that Kurt would have loved that version because he liked country music to hear Sturgill Simpson Sturgill Simpson who is just a rebel himself uh, has a very eclectic musical taste very interesting story and so the legacy of Nirvana's Never mind. First time I heard it, I thought, whoa. Whoa. It doesn't matter when I heard it. That's the thing. I think people think, oh, I heard it in 91. Some of us didn't hear it. And some of us, you know, music finds you at that exact moment. It always bothers me when people are like, oh, why didn't you listen to it then? That's what we... Everything has its time. And never mind. I the first song that I ever heard off of Nevermind. I mean, I had heard "Smells Like Teen Spirit," but the first one that kind of made me want to buy it was "Lithium." "Lithium" is such an interesting song, and as I mentioned last night, seeing Saint Vincent, the first time I ever knew who Saint Vincent was, Nirvana were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014, and what they did is because Kurt loved female artists and the female voice they had all female artists cover the songs Joan Jett opened with Smells Like Teen Spirit which was awesome Annie Clark of St. Vincent did Lithium with the band with Kurt or with Dave uh, Novoselic, uh, Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl and uh, Pat Smear Kim Gordon of Sonic Youth did uh, Aneurysm Lord did all apologies. Yeah. It, w- it was a pretty awesome experience. But that's where I first learned of who St. Vincent was. And then she put out Digital Witness. And I was like, oh. Interesting. The way she did she did Lithium was great. You know, Lithium has an interesting history because many have said that's the danceable song on the album. But then also smells like Teen Spirit. Uh, so Nirvana, we're going to play it at the v- VMAs in 92. What happened was they said, no, we want to play Rape Me instead, which would later be on their their album in utero. And the producers were like, no, no. And you know how MTV is sometimes with it. Stick up their ass. Um, I mean, now it's here's the funny thing. MTV has kind of loosened up now, but it's like too little too late. It's the '90s were such a very chaotic time musically and a very charismatic and eclectic. Right now, it's just a whole shithole. It's like enough already. But so when 
so Dana Carvey says, and now for your long care needs, Nirvana. And Kurt starts to play the first few chords of Rape Me. And then and supposedly the producers almost cut the cut the feed. Supposedly. I could be wrong. I could be right. Uh, and then they went into Lithium. So then they're doing Lithium. And apparently there was a fight going on between Axl Rose and Kurt. I don't know. I wasn't there. And I think... So Chris Novoselic throws the bass in the air. It hits him in the head. Dave Grohl goes up to Mike and says, Hi, Axel. Hi, Axel. Meanwhile, Kurt jumps into the drums. It's chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. They won for Smells Like Teen Spirit for the video. It was an interesting time. It was an interesting time. Think about how long that album. That album has sold tens, millions of records. Still sells records today. I always find it interesting when people get are getting into the record and 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 I don't ruin it for them because it's like oh that's that's so wonderful that's so awesome that they can have that moment that intimacy of that album because the first time I heard it I heard it on headphones. There's an intimacy the first time it, it's yours. You feel like oh you've lit the candle and there's that album. It's a magical moment, that album. It doesn't matter what happened afterwards in terms of, oh, this album was better than the last one. Nevermind is a moment that cannot be duplicated or replicated. It was... It was just... It it had to happen. There was a change brewing. And And it did... First of all, it... Change the landscape. I, Bruce Springsteen said something interesting about it once. He said, change the way you could sound. Which is true. He's the boss. Applesauce. He had a birthday this week. But this birthday today of the 30th anniversary of Nevermind is truly an astounding thing. And... Yeah. It, it does leave me speechless. It leaves me speechless because... It didn't win a whole bunch of awards. I remember doing research on it once and I was stunned by... You know, it didn't... I don't know. It was... It was... It was... It was, it was stunning that... And, you know, here we are. I remember when it was 10 years old and it was 20 years old. And now it's it's 30. And... Yeah. And yes, even the little baby, well, he's all grown up now, is in the news because I guess he's pissed about the picture. Well, hey. This album. Here we go. If we can go to Butch Fig. Here's Butch Fig talking about never mind. 
Jonathan from Sub Pop sent me Bleach and asked me if I wanted to work with Nirvana. I liked Bleach, but I didn't love it. I love that song School, which had a really cool kind of one riff punk moment to it. But what really turned my head was about a girl, because to me that sounded like a Lennon McCartney composition. A couple weeks before we went in and started recording, never mind, Kurt sent me a cassette boombox tape from the rehearsal. And it had some of the new songs on it, Come As You Are and Teen Spirit. And uh, at the start of it, he said, hey, Butch, we got a new drummer. His name is Dave Grohl. He's the best drummer in the world. And they clicked into Teen Spirit. and it just went completely distorted because of the built-in speakers on the boombox couldn't handle the sound pressure in the room. And I remember hearing the song go, wow, I, I love the chord progression and it, it sounds really powerful, but it was hard to tell because it was so distorted. Cut to two weeks later, I walked into a rehearsal place in North Hollywood, met the band, Dave was goofy, and they were excited to be there because, you know, they had signed a deal with Geffen and they had an advance. So the first time they had some money in their pockets and a long time and they played teen spirit the first time and it absolutely floored me they were so powerful so powerful sounding and they were not slackers they had practiced every day for six months leading up to going in the studio they wanted to make a really tight focused kick-ass album so they were ready and uh i remember after i heard teen spirit i i was pacing around i just got up and i said um play it again you know and I, I, I was completely blown away by how intense it sounded. When we finished Nevermind, I went back to Wisconsin and was getting ready to start another project. And I think it was around the 4th of July, I had a party. Um, I was renting this apartment near the lake in uh, Madison on the east side, not too far from Smart Studios. And Billy Corgan came and a bunch of people came. A lot of other musicians was, were there. And I put Nevermind on a cassette on the boombox on the picnic table and um, while we were grilling bratwurst. And everybody stopped talking and stood around the table and listened to the record all the way through. And it was done. There was silence for a few seconds. And then somebody said, play it again. And so I rewound the cassette and played it again. And the same thing, everyone just stood there and listened to it. And I was sort of embarrassed in a way. Um, but I just saw how people were listening to it and how it was affecting them. And again, I had no perspective because we did the record so fast in 16 days and Gavin said, oh, we love it. But, you know, I just thought, okay, cool. They, they, we thought the record turned out good. And I started getting phone calls for, at the studio, people leaving messages on the answering machine, like people who were working in radio or promotion. I didn't even know who they were. They were like, Butch Vig, we just heard Nevermind. Oh my God. And leaving messages like that, that's all they would say and hang up. And and um, I could just feel this electricity building, you know. It's, uh, it, it, people were responding to it in a way that I'd never seen to something I'd worked on before. So I knew that something was going on, you know. I just, we didn't really realize how, uh, what kind of impact it was gonna have on people, I guess, until it came out. Nevermind was, happened, and it's true to a certain extent because it was a breath of fresh air at that time. But if they had written a different batch of songs, I don't know that it would have had that kind of success because uh, it's just an amazing collection of pop songs. It really is. It's raw and visceral sounding. Kurt's vocals are like a jagged edge. It's so emotional sounding, but it's also super 
hooky. The songs are just glorious pop songs. Every song has a sing-along melody, and Kurt had a gift for that. I mean, he was an incredible musician, but he had this innate pop sensibility. As much as he loved the Sex Pistols, he adored the Beatles, you know, and, and you can hear that in his songwriting. And I think that's one of the reasons that Nevermind was so successful, is the songs had this great commercial appeal because they were super hooky. I think the biggest turning point in my career came from two records, really. I finished Smashing Pumpkin Gish in 91, and a few months later I did Nirvana's Nevermind. Gish was the first record where I really had a chance to work on the sounds and, and to really try and make a great sounding statement. We spent about 30 days recording and mixing. Up until then, I think every record I'd done had been about three or four days. You know, track everything in one day, overdub all the vocals in the second day, and then mix everything in the third day. And I did hundreds of records that way. It was good learning because you have to do things really quickly, just make decisions really quickly and, and uh, get things done because there, there was no time to, to even think about things like that, if, if it was good enough or if it could be better. Gish was the first record where I could really spend time getting tones and, and really work with the band and with Billy Corgan specifically because he was uh, very much a perfectionist like I was and and I loved it. We were sort of, we would push each other but we were on the same wavelength and Gish made a lot of noise when it came out. Um, the record kind of took off on, you know, they were signed to Caroline at the time but um, they had a big following and, uh, and it was getting a lot of press and Pretty quickly after that, I went in and did Nevermind and had no idea that it was going to have that kind of commercial and critical success that it did. But as soon as Nevermind took off, I just got calls nonstop. And I, since then, I've kind of been able to pick and choose the projects that I've wanted to do. And, you know, those kind of records really only happen once in a lifetime. And, I- and that's Butch Vig, the producer of Nirvana's never mind 30 years later can you believe that what does never mind mean to me I'll describe the songs to you how how they make me feel because Kurt Cobain always said of his songs when people would ask what is it about and he said it doesn't matter it's your soap opera they mean something different to you than they do to I or to him the songwriter Smells Like Teen Spirit is such a jolt. It's such a jolt. It hits you. It slaps you. You feel it. And then... <laughs> then you got In Bloom. And In Bloom smacks you with that opening. Dave Grohl's drums. Come As You Are is such a... First of all, Kurt's voice on that is so haunting the guitars where he's talking about memory you know and 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 how he's just he's thrusting out those lyrics you know soaked in mud soaked in bleach as i want you to be breed breed is such a such a an exorcism of sorts it truly is an exorcism of Sonic proportions. It's it's it is the punk ethos of that whole record. And then lithium. 
Lithium really is that iconic moment. The lyrics, you know, what what Kurt Cobain really was doing was he would say quiet in the verse, loud in the chorus, okay? Just like the Pixies. And that's Lithium. And then Polly. Polly was written from the torturer. So it was written from the perspective of the torturer. Polly wants a cracker. Territorial pissings. That is such an it's such an electric fine performance. Drain you. So drain you. Chris Novoselic said in classic albums that drain you basically is their attempt. You know how the Who had did won't we? You know um, that moment in we won't get fooled again. You know, doom, do do do, where the, it crescendos, and there's that moment in drain you. We hear this mouse and everything they put in the mix. It, they really, they really layered it up. Lounge Act, which is such a rain-soaked song. Stay away. Kurt's voice always cut through it. He cut through it on a plane. Oh my god! First of all, love myself better than you. You know what's wrong, but what should we do? Yeah. The lyrics are told from such a perspective for the 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 album itself, and then something in the way, something in the way, is such a haunting song. And then to go back and the un- MTV Unplugged, where they really just made it raw. This album to me represents freedom of sonic truth, raw emotion, powerful something that can't be done ever again. And and Butch Vig was right. Kurt loved the Beatles and the pop sensibility and the melodies on this album. And Dave Grohl once said the out the songwriting really Kurt wanted to be like children's songs. That's how he wanted it to be. So that you could sing along. He wanted he you know, he didn't want the audience scratching their heads like, what the fuck is this? So released on September twenty fourth, nineteen ninety one. There are so many documentaries. There is a box set coming out in November. Happy birthday, never mind. Thank you, Kurt Cobain, Chris Novoselic, Dave Grohl, and Butch Vig, the fourth member of Nirvana, for giving us this tidal wave of sound, unpleasant dreams.